This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here, host of Now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio. We want to keep you in the now with information on news, sports, politics, technology, all curated and presented by members of the blind and partially sighted community. And that community includes me. But we don't want to do all the talking. We want to hear from you. Do you have an opinion on something you saw in the news? Is something affecting your community? Now is your chance to be heard. Listen to Now with Dave Brown wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Some years ago, I went on a hike with my parents to Watkins Glen Park in New York State. This trail, which winds its way through a gorge, left me spellbound. Ducking under waterfalls, clambering over stones and rocks, feeling moss under my fingertips and the warm sun on my back, listening to birds and the rushing water, I was truly at peace. I left feeling a sense of deep connection with myself, my family, the world around me. I left feeling hopeful. I felt resolved to cherish the outdoors and do what I could to preserve nature's wonders. Most of all, I felt free. Today, we examine the relationship between nature exploration and blindness. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I hope whatever you're doing, wherever you are, you're staying safe and well at home during the pandemic. As I'd like to remind you at the top of every program, if you'd like to keep up with the latest AMI-audio coverage related to COVID-19, you can visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. Off the top of the program, I talked about Watkins Glen Park, not because I think that it's a particularly spectacular place, because I mean, mind you, it was, but I recognize and I want to say right off the top that we in Canada are so lucky to have some truly beautiful places in our country. From coast to coast, we are blessed to have splendid outdoors, and I hope we're all making the best of it in these summer months. What I liked about that particular day at Watkins Glen is that as a person who is fully blind, I was really able to appreciate the outdoors in many different ways using all my senses. It was the first time that I felt that I truly belonged in the outdoors and I felt less like an interloper. All my life, I've been led to believe that the only way you can truly appreciate nature is by looking and by seeing. But this was the first time in my life that I felt there was more to that than met the eye, as it were. All right, now my guest today is Dr. Sarah Bell, who is a lecturer in health geography at the University of Exeter. Sarah's research focuses on the intersections between human health, well-being, and the interlinked physical, social, and cultural environments encountered through the life course. Sarah Bell, welcome to The Pulse. It is so wonderful to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Sarah, the the term nature can mean so many different things to so many people. So what does nature mean or how do you define nature for research purposes? There's lots of different ways in which it has been defined in different research studies. For the purpose of my work, I always leave that to the people that I'm doing the research with. So I tend to use 
open qualitative research approaches and often the first question that I will ask my participants is what is nature to you because I feel like unless we have a shared understanding of that it's difficult to then move forward with the rest of you know the rest of the study so mm-hmm. in the studies that I've done that can range from anything you know to the sounds of nature that you experience when you're inside <laughs> and there are mm-hmm. there are sounds happening outside to the weather, to actually being able to get out into a garden or a park. Or for some people, it's what you find when you're much further afield in some of the more um, remote places. Uh, But when I talk about nature, I tend to talk about all of it. And Mm. controversially, I tend to talk about people as part of nature as well. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not surprising for a human geographer at all. I'm not sure why that's entirely (laughs) controversial. Uh, But uh, let's turn our attention to your study. Sensing Nature uh, is quite a, a massive project that you undertook. Tell us a little bit about your goals and ambitions with the project. Yeah, so it was a two-year project. I started in, I think, November 2016 and finished at the end of 2018. Um, That was the research side of it. Obviously, the practical applied uh, sort of activities that are ongoing, and I try to keep those going around uh, teaching and, and other things. But the main aims of the project for that two years were to examine how people with Varying forms of sight impairment um, experience a sense of well-being or otherwise with diverse types of nature during the life course and to really use those insights to improve the way that we understand, enable and promote these more positive, socially inclusive, multisensory nature experiences. So what role did interviews play in your study? You talked earlier about how you really tried to get a definition with your participants about what nature was, but in what other ways did the interview process itself structure the research? Yeah, there was there were three stages to the research. Um, the first stage was what's often called ethnographic participation. So I joined a lot of existing groups that were um, run with blind and partially sighted people um from you know outdoor walking groups to gardening groups to social groups uh, even a, a rifle shooting group as well and part of that was really to start to I suppose gain a bit of a, an understanding of what nature could be but also just to understand the whole diversity of experiences that that people can can have with um with blindness with sight impairment yeah, when we talk about this diversity of experience, though, I mean, one of the, the keystones of uh, a lot of the conversations around disability and nature seems to be about the limitations, uh, the obstacles, the challenges, the barriers to experiencing nature. Did you find that that came up in your study? And, and were there ways in which you tried to go beyond those dominant ideas? Yes, that was the the, the core aim, really, of, of of what we were doing. So... Part of the reason why I recruited people who use nature to the study was to try and understand what those barriers can be and where they can come from, but also what kind of structures and activities have helped to to move beyond those barriers. Um, mm-hmm. And so the the second stage were a series of in-depth narrative interviews with with people from all around uh, England um, and they were really trying to understand what nature is to people but also how they experience and negotiate it in their everyday lives, how that's changed through different chapters of their life and why and how they feel about current approaches to, to promoting um, more inclusive accessible experiences of nature and what could be done better 
And then the second, the final stage was a series of go along interviews where I went to a nature setting with them that they'd highlighted as important. And again, just negotiating that together really helped to understand some of those really, I suppose, micro strategies that people mm-hmm. were using to engage with them, but also what aspects of, of environment, of um you know, site interpretation of site management, what was really helping that and what mm-hmm. hindered it? Mm-hmm. I, there's so much to just go over that in, in just what you've said, but uh, you really sound like you're promulgating a shift in the way we think about the relationship between disability and exploring nature. Did you feel that that shift in thinking might also prompt us to rethink many of the stigmas and stereotypes associated with people with disabilities? Uh, people with disabilities don't want to be outdoors. People with disabilities are afraid of the outdoors. Definitely. And I think um, one of the big things that that has come up during the study and in the activities of been running since really is the importance of bringing out that moving bringing a sort of culture shift that moves beyond thinking about disabilities and access need and actually recognizing disability as this as this site for actually really being able to learn more about a site learn more about all the different experiences that people can have there and thinking about what that means for how we story nature how we open up access to it what could we what we could be doing better for everyone um, and highlighting different categories of aesthetic value beyond what people perhaps take for granted because they're so focused on one mode of, of experiencing or, or engaging with the site. And I think also moving beyond that tendency to think about we must create experiences for different groups of people to actually, if we have a really diverse staff um, composition, if we have a really diverse group of volunteers, if we reach out to a whole load of different community groups when we're thinking about the design and management of these settings and the interpretation of these settings, we can do something really exciting and something quite different. I'm speaking to Dr. Sarah Bell from the University of Exeter about her research and project, which is called Sensing Nature. In your research, you come up with three different themes, and I'd like to spend a few minutes talking to you about them. The first major theme is nature as freedom. Can you expand on that? Yes. So this idea came up time and time again across the different interviews, really, that this sense of of feeling free when engaging with different types of of nature and I characterize the freedoms that they described as as three different types obviously they're overlapping but the first of them that came up time and time again was actually social freedom so being able to experience uh, opportunities to to escape from perhaps more disabling social attitudes that are informed by quite narrow conceptions of sight impairment so being able to sort of move safely and choose how and when to engage with nature and to do it on their own terms without perhaps having those really overprotective attitudes and and that didn't come about all the time I'm not saying that going out into nature is always going to enable that there are also you know a huge number of stereotypes which can hinder those experiences in nature too but it was one of the things that people talked about that actually if, if you can get out to where there are fewer people um Often Mm -hmm. it it can give you a bit of a sense of relief from some of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was one type. I don't know. Do you want me to carry on talking about? Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about the other two. The second one, which I was so intrigued by, was nature as skill set. So tell us more about that. Oh yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, So yeah. So the other thing I think was that often 
people don't realize the intricate skills and knowledge and sensory knowledges that people use to engage with these settings and I think you know often um when people talk about nature people talk about this idea of sightseeing with the the ears and um uh, seeing with the hands and I think they were sort of saying that actually you know what we're listening with our ears and we're feeling with our hands and those are equally skilled forms of of sensory knowledge of sensory perception and actually they talked about the fact that because nature can take shape in so many different forms that you can build skill sets to engage with different types of nature and to use those to you know engage in your curiosity and to to skill up and develop confidence in tackling increasingly you know maybe more uneven and, and changeable and, and difficult terrains over time but actually there was that sense that you can build up to that and you can work up to that and the the diversity of nature allowed you to develop that kind of skillscape with it my name is Joita Gupta and my guest today is lecturer at the University of Exeter, Sarah Bell. Sarah, before the break, we were talking about building skill sets and how that concept applies to people with disabilities who may be out and about exploring nature, whatever that might look like for them. But let me ask you, related to that, if this proposition, this idea of building skills also apply to people who might offer recreational programs, walking tours, um, you know, run other kind of programming that involves hiking and uh, exploring nature, what kind of skills can they create or evolve to be more inclusive of people with different abilities? Absolutely. This really applies um, across a whole range of different people. So um, I should say, before I started the study, I trained up as a sighted guide um, and I still volunteer doing sighted guiding. But even even just that process of learning how to guide was, for me, a huge process of of skilling up and has been useful ever since. Um, but one of the big things from from the project really was trying to develop guidelines and guidance and support for people working in different roles outside to develop different skill sets. So one of the outputs was thinking about how urban green space designers and managers could build up new skills to think about how they are designing and managing a space. Another of the outputs was thinking about how people who run and design walking groups could actually build skills to think about not only how they can make sure that their routes are inclusive and engaging, but also some of those practical things around guiding and describing and interpreting when you're in situ. And then Mm -hmm. the third sort of um, large output from the study was developing, working with a a fantastic audio description charity and um, audio description organisation in the UK, Vocalise, working with them and some of the nature conservation organisations in the UK to develop this um, audio description guidance. So how do you how do you interpret and engage a site when you're out there in a way that is interesting and that speaks across the senses? How do you order that information and how do you convey it in an effective way to tell the stories of a site? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, often in many of these sites, much of what's going on can't be seen really by anyone without you know binoculars or all these sorts of things so actually learning how to tell the stories in a compelling way even when people can't see it is is a useful skill regardless so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's go back to your themes then the third and final theme that came up in your research was nature as connection uh really interested in finding out what you discovered there yeah i think many people in the study talked about how just being able to experience nature through the senses and again whether that was 
the gentle sensation of, of a breeze or um, bird song or, you know, feeling um, a horse or, 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 or an animal, um, that actually that can promote a sense of, of being part of the world and being able to forge those meaningful relationships with people, but also with non-human parts of the world. And I think for people who perhaps, maybe people who are just starting to go through a process of sight loss who can feel quite strong feelings of isolation who are almost caught between different ways of embodying the world and are perhaps facing some of the social stigma that you talked mm. about before um being able to have those more positive less demanding relationships with a bird with the weather with those types of aspects of nature actually seem to bring a sense of relief and comfort and mm -hmm. and connection which came through quite a lot across the different interviews and um when you talk about things like relief and comfort and connection uh on the one hand i feel like these are intangible things they're difficult to quantify and yet on the other hand i feel they're so important to an overall sense of well-being to our health our mental health uh, what are the connections between uh being exposed to the outdoors in a way that is inclusive of your way of being in the world as a person with a disability and an overall sense of wellness of being healthy of feeling whole and contented in your life well that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> um so i think you know often when we think about well-being we think about the core qualities of of being able to forge meaningful relationships we think about qualities of feeling competent and able and skilled and we think about having that sense of freedom of autonomy to choose how we live and what we do and I think in many ways some of the experiences that I've talked about of, of being in nature mm. provided those opportunities of, of being able to get a sense of those three core qualities of well-being um, in a way that perhaps can be more difficult in other areas of life or perhaps because of the way our our world is organized and structured and and all the kind of stereotypes that roll around in it um can make it quite difficult otherwise mm -hmm. um I'm, I'm gonna back myself into a bit of a corner here by asking a risky question but i'm gonna ask you because uh when i'm out on a hike um and i'm often with somebody it could be my husband it might be my parents or a friend there's always that one person who happens to stride past me in perfect isolation. They're quite by themselves. Maybe they've got a set of headphones in. And I turn green with envy because what I would really like to do if I were on a hike is do that on my own. And I feel that as a person with a disability, I'm fully blind myself. Achieving any level of autonomy or independence in a space like that can be very difficult. Is that something that came up in your research at all? Yeah, that came up quite a bit and it um it was approached in in different ways I suppose. Some people highlighted how yes that person's striding along on their own um but I guess you don't always see all the people and all the objects and all the technology that has actually supported them to get to that point because they emit this idea of this kind of independent, you know, explorer, uh, that kind of wilderness ideal if you like. Um but other people said as well that often being able to to build up some of that 
that knowledge over time. So one person, he lived right on the coastal path here in Cornwall. And he, over a series of, of, of months, of years, he has been working with his son to um, get his landmarks across the coastal path and, and really use his cane skills. He's amazing with the long cane when we went out to be able to, to walk that independently um, eventually. It's obviously taken a lot of time, but he said for him, the thrill that he gets from doing that is more than he can really put into words in many ways. My guest today right now is Dr. Sarah Bell from the University of Exeter. Uh, Sarah, when, you know, when we talk about being outdoors, there is a perception, just like there's a perception of the independent traveler. There's also a perception of the physically fit traveler. So I'm not even talking about people with disabilities, but generally the sense that if you're going to be out in nature, hiking, walking, exploring, you've got to have a basic minimum amount of physical fitness and health uh, just to be able to do that. Uh, but we know that a lot of people with physical disabilities, especially um, and other disabilities, don't have access to things like gyms and uh, personal trainers. So did that perception come up and how did people get around that? Yeah, that that did come up a bit. Um, and again, sort of different, different responses to it. I suppose some people spoke about how part of the reason why they love being in nature is because it's moving all the time. So even if they can't move at perhaps the pace or the speed they want to, they still get that sense of, of, of movement, of variation, of, of variety. Um, other people spoke about how valuable it's been for example to join local walking for health groups which start walking just for a mile and then over time build up to three miles um, and th these groups are these walks are for anyone um, but actually how that gave them a, an entry point that sense of okay I might not be able to walk three miles now I certainly might not be able to walk 10 miles um, but mm -hmm. I can still get that enjoyment for a mile. And then other people talked about, just a couple of my participants were also wheelchair users, um, and they just talked about the joy that they experienced when they found a wheelchair accessible route and how they could just get that, pick up a little bit of speed and movement and get that sense of kind of moving air, of, of, of moving environments. Um, and again, you know, that, that comes down to how these sites are designed and managed. But I think it, you're right, there is this kind of this this ideal that you have to be super physically fit and you have to go and hike and, and do these crazy feats. But actually, there are still a lot of ways in which to experience nature being on the move without necessarily having to do it at that intensity. Um, and there are some great organisations. I spoke to one called Vision of Adventure that runs in the UK, which they um, work with blind and partially sighted people to develop skills around climbing and caving and kayaking and canoeing and again working from those you know those early entry points to actually building the skills and the fitness over time to, to be able to develop that for people who want to obviously the you know not not forcing it on anyone I don't think you'd find me at the top of a cliff doing co-steering but <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dr. Sarah Bell, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you, um, uh, but our time together is at an end. Uh, but I will um, say it's probably time for us to take a hike. But uh, thank you very much for being on the program <laughs> with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely to talk to you. 
That was Dr. Sarah Bell from the University of Exeter, and we talked about her research and her project, Sensing Nature. You can visit uh, the website for Sensing Nature at www.sensingnature.com. We'll put a link up on our website, and you can go ahead and check that out on ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. That's the show page. We'll put up a link to the Sensing Nature website, and I'll have a few additional thoughts. But for today, I'm going to wrap up by saying that there have been in the recent and not so recent past a number of debates that have come up, whether it's been about the use of straws or pre-cut fruit and vegetables. And what we've really seen is that those debates have, have essentially pitted disability rights activists against environmentalists. But I would like to really have this conversation be the place where all of us start to bridge the gap in dialogue. Because the fact of the matter is a number of people with disabilities can and do and will love nature and want to do their part. But at the same time, there is a need for the environmental movement and people who talk about making sustainable climate change and environmental change to also take into consideration the diverse ways in which people interact with nature. So I really hope this piece has served as a conversation starter. If you'd like to go back and have a listen to any of it, you can check us out on your favorite podcast platforms. I'd like to thank Dr. Sarah Bell for being on the program today. The Pulse has a technical producer, that being Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is our manager at AMI-audio. Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.